On November 3rd, 1981, 14-year-old Marcy Renee Conrad was murdered by her friend, Anthony Jacques Broussard. For two days afterward, he bragged about the killing and took classmates to see her body in the hills, four miles outside of town. The callousness of the teenagers who didn't report his crime and the backlash against the teenagers who finally did triggered a nationwide reflection on disaffected youth and inspired the 1986 Tim Hunter film, River's Edge. This is based on a true crime. everyone and welcome to this episode i don't know what number it is um (laughs) sorry we're actually a week late but we had a pretty crazy week and weekend um getting ready for flashback weekend a big horror con where david sold a bunch of art as lab creature and met a bunch of movie stars because he's cool like that Yep, met a couple of people from uh, that movie, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah, that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, including Robert England, Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And Heather Langenkamp, Nancy Thompson. So we had a great time, but we are ready to get back to chatting about murder and recording our conversations. Yeah, that's except, not weird at all. No, 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 no. <laughs> except I keep thinking about Robert England with the button that I designed for 976 Evil. Yes, David <laughs> did give Robert England a button that he designed and he slipped it into his jacket pocket and gave David a big handshake. So <laughs> yeah. pretty much um, made his, his whole weekend and week and month and year. So Yep, it was great. Um, but we're back. Yep, we are back. Uh, before we get into the meat of this case, I just wanted to do a few quick shout outs. Uh, So first to some podcasts that we've been uh, interacting with. Uh, Murder and Such is a really cool podcast. It's actually also based in Ohio, uh, just a little bit north of us in Cincinnati there in Dayton. Victims and Villains is another really great podcast, and you might be hearing a familiar pair of voices on their show soon. Um, I also wanted to thank uh, Kendra on the True Crime Podcast Facebook group for reaching out. We had a cool conversation, got some ideas for future episodes that I don't want to spoil yet. We also got a really nice message from Lorian on Facebook, who actually read Serpent in the Rainbow in her Anthropology of Religion class and said that unfortunately the teacher did not mention the existence of the Wes Craven film. And then I want to thank our five-star reviewers. We actually got two new five-star reviews, one from the uh, gals at Color Me Dead and another one from uh, Sarah Beth, which I didn't forget her name. That's actually the username is uh, Sarah Beth. So our first giveaway has ended. We have a winner and I'm mailing out the goods very soon. And then... Finally, we have two correct guesses for this week's episode, so I guess... I'm just thinking about mailing out the goods. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, So I guess this is a a pretty popular film because I think within the first hour that I posted it, we already had uh, correct guesses from Tashana on Instagram. She's actually one of the hosts of Something's Not Right, which I've talked about their awesome podcast before, and also Lindsay on Facebook. So this is the story of River's Edge, the movie, and the unfortunate killing of Marcy Renee Conrad. Did you, are, you didn't say I'm Chelsea. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. And by the way, I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime. I'm David, and I love horror movies and A Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to get started, let's talk about Marcy Renee Conrad, who was born February 5th of 1967. She was originally from Bloomer, Wisconsin, but moved with her family to Milpitas, California, about 10 years prior to her murder. Those who knew her considered her to be a sweet girl who loved to write poetry. At the time of her murder, she was a ninth grader at Russell Junior High School, and according to her mother, at some point she began running with a bad crowd who called themselves, quote, the stoners. Just like right out of a movie there. It totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. So the day before she was killed, her mother had reported that she had run away from home which had become a frequent occurrence. One of these stoners was 16-year-old Anthony Jacques Broussard, who went by Jacques. It seemed that at age 16, he had already had a reputation for being creepy and antisocial. So his emotional problems are said to have started when he was eight years old, when he got home from elementary school and found his mother dead in the shower. Reports vary as to whether she had killed herself or died of a heart attack, but by the time he was 16, Broussard was six feet, four inches tall, and weighed 280 pounds. 
Those close to Marcy have said that she was only friends with Broussard, while others have stated that they had an intimate relationship, which Marcy did not want her close friends or family to know about. For what it's worth, though, her mother stated that Marcy had a crush on a different boy at the time. Marcy was also warned by several people to stay away from Boussard due to his reputation for being strange and his reported abuse of drugs and alcohol. So he was a real bad boy. Yeah. So on November 3rd of 1981, Marcy skipped classes to hang out with Broussard at his father's house. While they were there, they got into an argument, which friends say was either about sex or remarks that Marcy made about Broussard's mother. Broussard said of the event, quote, I was on drugs, LSD. Marcy had a tendency to mouth off. She was sitting on my lap. Basically what happened, I just grabbed her and she was dead. Which is a bit of a simplification of that story because he did not just grab her. He raped and strangled her to death. And uh, let me remind you, this is a ninth grader. This is someone in junior high. Yeah, it's a it's child. Awful. I mean, he's only a couple years older, but... Uh, and a big just, guy. Yeah. So after the murder, he threw her body into his father's white pickup truck and dumped it in the foothills outside of town clad only in a brown tank top and white socks the next day november 4th broussard was hanging out in the parking lot of a local pinball arcade with friends mark falks jerry epperson and john hansen when broussard admitted that he killed marcy and dumped her body falks bet broussard five dollars that it wasn't real and the four teens along with falks eight-year-old brother piled into broussard's truck and headed to the hills during the drive, Broussard pointed out Marcy's purse and her school book binder lying along the road. When they got to the spot along the highway, John Hansen and Falk's brother waited in the car while Epperson, Falks, and Broussard went down to see the body. After the fact, Epperson told police and friends that he thought the body was a mannequin, but Falks said that he knew it was Marcy from her clothes, and he told Broussard to take him home. Although Hansen only saw the body from the roadway, he also believed that it was real. Falks and Marcy Conrad grew up together in the same neighborhood, often playing tag in their youth and eventually even dated for one summer. When Falks was a Cub Scout, Marcy's mom was his den mother. So Falks said that after seeing the body, he went home, holed up in his room with the radio on and fell asleep without dinner. He went to Broussard's house the next day before the crime had been reported and Broussard showed him the living room sofa where Marcy was strangled to death. He said of the experience, quote, I thought, here I am, sitting in the same room three feet away from where this chick was killed. After the police called Falks to ask for an interview, Falks did end up telling a neighbor about seeing the body, but still denied any knowledge of it to the police, finally admitting the truth only after Broussard was arrested later that evening, explaining that it was hard to tell on someone who had been his friend for 10 years. Which is a little bit ridiculous because, you know, Marcy must have been his friend for at least as long, let alone being his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Yeah, and I think yeah. when we talk about the movie, you'll see kind of Odd yeah that loyalties. disassociative yeah, yeah. The, the loyalty and then the the not connecting to a friend's death. That's kind of weird. I I couldn't see myself having that same reaction. But during the next twenty four hours, Broussard took at least three more groups of people to see the body, and as word spread, more students began to search for Marcy's body alone. In the end, at least thirteen teens witnessed the crime scene. While there, they threw rocks at her body or poked it with sticks. One dropped a rock on her face. They made bets as to whether the body was real, and one girl stole a coveted patch for a radio station off of Marcy's discarded jeans. One teen, 16-year-old Kirk Rasmussen, covered the body in plastic bags and leaves so it couldn't be seen from the bridge in order to give Broussard a, quote, head start. Sergeant Gary Meeker, one of the officers on the scene, said, quote, There were people up there when we were there, kids coming up. While we were at the scene, cars came up with two or three juveniles in them, saw the police cars, and turned around and left. So this was a real, like, freak show. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine now. I mean, I know we'll get into it more during the discussion, but it's kind of hard to imagine nowadays kids hearing about that and going to check it out rather than immediately telling an adult. But maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just uh. a snitch. <laughs> <laughs> Narc. Yeah. <laughs> So Dave Leffler, who is 15, and an 18-year-old friend and recent uh, Milpitas High School graduate Mike Irvin heard the story from John Hansen. They did not believe it was real, but drove with another friend, 16-year-old Robert Engel, to see for themselves. Describing the experience, Leffler said, quote, When I slid down the hill and looked at it, it was obvious it was a real body. Mike lifted up the plastic bag. She was white and stiff, but she was real. Leffler recalled being shaken by the experience and saying, that's someone's daughter down there. Leffler and Irvin decided to go to the police, but Hansen and Engel did not want any part of reporting the crime. 
Hansen was instead more interested in collecting a bet because he had bet the teens a marijuana cigarette that the body was real. According to Leffler, they said of Marcy's body, quote, as far as we're concerned, it don't even exist. Hansen later confessed that he didn't want to report the crime with Leffler and Irvin because he thought the police would think they did it. And Engel actually ended up admitting his knowledge later that Thursday to the principal of their school, Charles Parati. Parati called the police, but by then Leffler and Irvin had already reported it. Uh, Irvin and Leffler immediately went to the police after dropping Hansen and Engel off at school. And although only Irvin went inside to give a statement, Leffler actually ended up calling later to make his statement. Unfortunately for the two teens, doing the right thing actually brought them quite a bit of backlash from their peers for supposedly violating the code of teenage loyalty. Leffler said that one night, about a week after he reported the body, he heard voices outside his screen door saying, quote, he's going to pay for what he did to Jacques. And he ended up chasing away two young men with a 22 caliber shotgun. A 16-year-old named Charlie also gave a quote to a local newspaper where he said of Mike Irvin, quote, he don't live by any code or nothing. Jacques is a partner of mine. He needs help. He's gone wacko, but I wouldn't narc on him. He would have gotten it sooner or later. Leffler said he actually tracked down Charlie and made him apologize. And after facing so much backlash, Irvin ended up telling friends that if he had to do it again, he would report the body by telephone anonymously. So this concept of teenage loyalty, um, I don't I don't remember signing up for that, but I guess, you know, at the time. Yeah, I definitely didn't. Maybe just, just certain kids. Yeah. I didn't roll in roll I, I don't know what it says about me as a person, but there is no one who I would help hide a body except I guess you. <laughs> <laughs> Same for you, darling. So there were two other teenagers who were charged in this case, and one was Kirk Rasmussen, who was 16 and was charged for concealing Marcy's body with leaves. Mark Falks was also charged as an accessory due to statements he gave to the police, but this charge was dismissed after a closed juvenile hearing. Before he was arrested, Rasmussen told a San Jose Mercury news reporter while on the verge of tears that, quote, I couldn't do my classwork. It was on my mind. I couldn't believe it. And said that he had asked Broussard why he did it, and Broussard just laughed at him. Rasmussen also claimed while on trial that he covered her body out of respect for Marcy, but his friend said it was to protect Broussard. In February of 1982, Rasmussen was found guilty and sentenced to three years in a juvenile center. Broussard was ordered to stand trial as an adult, but pled guilty rather than go to trial on July 20th of 1982, after Judge John A. Flattery decided to admit evidence presented by a cellmate that Mr. Broussard bragged about the killing. In addition to being on trial for the murder and rape of Marcy, Broussard was accused of attempted rape and attempted molestation in separate incidents with a 13-year-old and 14-year-old girl. These charges were dropped by the parents after Broussard pled guilty in order to spare their daughters from having to testify. So apparently, while Broussard was being held before trial, he told his cellmate, Russell Patrick McNeil, that he had strangled Marcy and then had sex with the body. Broussard pled guilty once McNeil's testimony was admitted as evidence, and as a result, he pled to a single charge of first-degree murder in the attempted commission of a felony, which was rape. Prosecutor Alan Nudelman said that the other charge of rape had to be dropped once this happened, once his confession was admitted into evidence because uh, legally you cannot rape a dead person. So Broussard was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison, which was the highest possible sentence for his crime considering he was a juvenile, and he would be eligible for parole after serving 16 years and eight months. As part of his sentencing, he underwent a 90-day psychiatric evaluation, which determined that he should be sent to a state prison rather than a juvenile center because he was, quote, not amenable to treatment. The staff at the center said that Broussard had no remorse and constantly gave different stories about the killing, which he changed, quote, daily, hourly, whimsically. Dr. Howard H. Lee, a psychiatrist, said that Broussard had no regard for human life and was, quote, without emotion, as if nothing touched him. While undergoing psychological examinations, he also stated that he did not think he would be in jail if not for his friends. Broussard is currently serving his life sentence at the state prison in Soledad and has been denied parole several times. Marcy's mother, Susan, said after Broussard pled guilty, quote, maybe now I can start forgetting a little. This case captured so much public attention, not for the crime itself, which unfortunately is not uncommon or even that sensational. 
Instead, it was for the callous reactions of the teens who viewed the body or heard Broussard bragging and did nothing. Sergeant Gary Meeker of the Santa Clara Sheriff's Department said, quote, The unusual aspect was what followed. The kids going up there. That was the unusual aspect. Even the straightest kid in school knows which kid is dealing dope. They don't care when to get involved. They know all the stuff that's going down. You take the straightest, straight-A, civic-minded student in that school. He's going to know all that, and he's not going to tell. But when it reaches the point of murder, I mean, when you're talking about a 14-year-old girl... The news inspired a number of think pieces in the media, blaming any number of factors, including pervasive moral decline, weed, heavy metal music, the 1960s, and of course, violence on TV for the teen's indifference. I put that in for you. Make the violence on TV joke. (laughs) There's too much violence on TV. I like it. It's good. Yeah. Never mind. (laughs) The situation was described as, quote, Lord of the Flies, replayed in suburbia. And Meeker said, quote, I've never seen a group of people act so callous about death in my 15 years of police work. So that's really saying something about the behavior of these teens. Yeah. And um, maybe the 80s. <laughs> well, the students themselves had a bit of a different perspective. And they said that their reasons for keeping quiet were mostly due to their own fear and confusion, as well as a lack of guidance on how to balance loyalty and justice and how to confront, you know, an act of madness when you're that young and inexperienced. So Leffler, who did report the crime to police, said, quote, I think they were pretty scared to go tell the cops because they would be blamed somehow. And one student who saw the body said that he went home and stared at the ceiling all night. And another confessed to visions of Marcy's corpse haunting him during class. Although some friends, such as Rasmussen and Falks, did seem to be truly trying to protect Broussard, he wasn't actually that popular at school. John Simpson, a 17-year-old student, said of Broussard, quote, I used to beat him up every day. No one was scared of Broussard. Jacques wasn't that much of a likable person so that people would want to cover for him. And then finally, for what it's worth, Peter Mesa, the school superintendent, added a statement to the student handbook after this happened, reminding students that they are, quote, expected and required to report without fail any action that may affect the safety, welfare, property, and rights of others. So, yep. That's heavy. So that is the... The story of Marcy Conrad, uh, her unfortunate short life, uh, really, really tragic. Yeah, I can't imagine in ninth grade. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I would say I have a pretty atypical high school experience. <laughs> you, you know my story. I went to a... I do. It was an, like a superhero high. <laughs> I went to an engineering vocational high school with about 40 other people in my class. So we didn't even really have enough people to be separated into those groups that you see in these typical teen movies, you know, the stoners and the jocks and the nerds. We were just all nerds, really. <laughs> Sounds good to me. So, so does any part of this description feel familiar to you? Because, you know, you were in high school. I was you know, around this time. <laughs> yeah, like I was in a, no, I was in a small town with yeah. you know a, a singular high school, and 80s I think high school. Uh, well, well 90s. not really. 90s. It was early nineties. Yeah, I mean, early nineties, eighties, same thing. <laughs> it was like yeah, yeah. There were definitely all the all the classes of people, like you mentioned, the jocks and the nerds and the stoners and the you know everyone in between. And even though it was a small school, I think our graduating class was under three hundred. That's years, a small school. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, well, you know, when we moved to St. Louis, you hear all about all the private high schools and it's like way different. But um, yeah, I could easily see like a similar situation happening, especially like junior or like middle school aged kids. Um, middle like that, like eighth grade, ninth grade um, mentality, maybe. I feel like once you get into high school, though, like ninth grade. Yeah. But like, I mean, yeah, these kids were already ninth and older ninth grade and older right so yeah they were mostly high school it was marcy that was in junior high right so she was like the the younger one yeah but i could see some of the delinquents or whatever so this this description in particular i'm thinking of from sergeant gary meeker so even the straightest kid in school knows which kid is dealing dope they don't care or want to get involved they know all the stuff that's going down yeah. Would you say that's true? I think so. so. It's, it's a community where even though you're divided into these groups, you kind of know what's up. 
Yeah, no, I think so. I was completely oblivious. I didn't find out until my senior trip that anyone in my high school was even drinking. Yeah. And people were drinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't drink in high school, but I was definitely aware of the, the group of folks who were. Yeah. Of the... I'm just oblivious. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you had a small sample, right? So. Yeah. So the other question I had was, do you think more of these kids should have been charged or gotten into some sort of trouble? Because there were only two of them. You know, I guess it's not illegal to not report a crime although now it's in the student handbook so (laughs) yeah big trouble there no i mean i think it's awful and it's awful behavior but like i you know i don't think so i think just kids are dumb and kids really are dumb it's just stupid and you know there's so many people who are saying we thought it was a mannequin we poked it and prodded it and like i honestly don't think if like i think they wished it was a mannequin yeah no definitely i mean i feel like if i thought i saw a body somewhere like i would hope it was a mannequin right I will say as a true crime junkie, I'm like (laughs) scanning the road when I'm driving because just never know. Yeah. We saw an armadillo, armadillo, an armadillo, (laughs) armadillo on the side of the road recently. That was weird. I thought that was like a stuffed toy. It's just napping. Let's take a little nap on the side of this road. I'm sure. I'm sure it was just napping. So this does kind of remind me though of the story that was in the news recently with those terrible kids who filmed that person drowning yeah oh my gosh and didn't get in any trouble because it's like somehow that you can't get in trouble for either yeah and i know it's too soon but that kid is coming back like with a hockey mask (laughs) yeah Yeah. and i'm gonna be cheering for it was a man it was an older man right yeah 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 Yeah. whatever no that was yeah that was get your revenge dude yep totally um so i did want to bring up just a few kind of similar cases so this is one we actually probably will be doing in the future all right what do you got uh, Charles Schmid, a.k.a. the Pied Piper of Tucson. So this is another kind of young killer. I think he might have been in his 20s, but his kind of associates were teenagers and he killed people and his friends covered for him. Okay, I remember you mentioning the Pied Piper aspect of it. Yes. That's pretty freaky. Yes. And this is one, I don't know if you were actually awake when I was playing this in the car, but the uh, murder of Rena Verk. By Kelly Ellard, this uh, Canadian true crime podcast did a really good episode on this that we listened to when we were driving back from Carbondale. And it was another case of teenage gang violence, I guess, a group of teenagers that beat this girl. And one of them ended up actually later that night killing her. And, you know, these teenagers knew what happened as she was missing and didn't say anything until they finally did oh gee no i missed that when i was asleep sorry sorry uh (laughs) podcast folks yeah and then the last one is ricky queso aka the say you love satan killer and he murdered a friend gary lowers and he bragged about the crime he brought other teens to see his body and the murder wasn't actually reported for two weeks after it happened (laughs) so even longer than this case but like completely removed from that can i just say say you love satan i I want that as a movie title that we make there's already actually a podcast called say you love satan i haven't listened to it yet but yeah it would make a great slasher film oh well yeah all right and then just as another little tidbit marsh road which is close to where marcy's body was dumped is supposedly haunted. So there's a bunch of videos on YouTube of more teenagers <laughs> driving to, driving down the road looking for ghosts as Ooh. teenagers do, I'm assuming. It's been a while. Yeah, that's what the kids are up to these days. Yeah. If you're uh, if you're younger and you're doing that, let us know. <laughs> Tweet at us. Yep. And then I don't know how much weight I could really give this, but there's a blog post that I came across when I was doing my research on mylifeofcrime.wordpress.com, and it's about this case, and the comments are nuts. Really? Like, like how so? Apparently, there's like a handful of people, teens, who were there in the school who knew all the people involved, and they're all on there setting the record straight wow what? yeah um, i'll make you read all of them later but right. i just wanted to quickly read this little exchange so this is from someone calling themselves d they posted on february 22nd 2008 i was there as well in the last truckload that went up there two days after her murder 
I gave a report to her school principal the following morning. The media portrayed us as cold, callous youth. Truth is, most of us had never dealt with death before. We were very scared. As for me, when I tried to tell my parents about it, I was accused of lying and making up stories. I have lots of regrets about how I handled this, but I can't change what happened. I wish I could. I go back to this time often. Sometimes I'm that scared person again. I still live in Milpitas, but have not been back to Marsh Road since. As for Jacques, I hope he rots in hell. While he was waiting trial in Juvenile Hall, I was also in the hall on unrelated charges. He made threats towards me, said the same thing was going to happen to me because he knows I said something. Am I scared if he ever gets out? Hell yes. Am I sorry that I finally said something to someone? Absolutely not. I only wish I had gone straight to the police as soon as I found out. And then there's a reply from someone named Don saying, you're a bitch and stole Marcy's Comey patch off her pants. So oh, remember that from the article yes. that a girl had taken the patch? Uh, yeah. So D replied, I did not take the patch off her pants. Regardless of what the media reported, here's the truth. One of the boys in the truck that day took the patch off her pants. When he climbed back up the hillside, he handed it to me. When we were a short distance away from where she lay, my hand started trembling and I threw it out of the window of the truck. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, I don't, you know, they're anonymous comments online, but it was just kind of crazy coming across that after doing all the research and seeing especially the story about the patch. So Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, who knows? Full circle. <laughs> yep. So that's all I got. Oh, now, no, that's, wow, that's amazing. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, not cool, but fascinating. Yeah, well, fascinating, said Mr. Spock oh. with, without a hint of emotion. All right, well, that's a pretty heavy story. Yeah. So I guess we're going to jump into the um, River's Edge here in just a second. So hold tight. Are you the killer? What? We've got to test our loyalty against all odds. It's kind of exciting. You like Chuck Norris, you know? Go get your nunchucks in your dad's car. I know where we can get a gun. I saw you two dancing. You know, are you a psycho or something? No, I'm normal. She's the doll. I know that. Right, Ellie? Charlie 3287. Look at that. Hope they don't upset Duck down. Jamie is dead, and there's nothing that we can do to save her. Now I happen to like Jamie, but John is still alive. And who's next on his list? All right, so we're back and we're here to talk about <laughs> River's Edge, which I keep adding a the to it. I don't know why. I was thinking of The Razor's Edge, which is a totally different movie. Yeah. I don't know. Is that about it, like a Razorback hog? Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> All right, anyway, so um, yeah, so the other night we watched River's Edge. Neither of us has seen it. It was one of those movies where it's like you look at the cast and it's like, wow, there's like some cool people in this movie. And uh, those cool people are, well, let's just start with Kenny Reeves. Yes. Not the star of the movie, but he has a big role in it. I would say he's the star of the movie. Do you think so? He's the moral center of the film. Yeah. I would say. He's real cute. Real young and cute in this movie. And he's got long hair like David has right now. Ah. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, and speaking of cute, we also have Ioni Sky, who plays Clarissa. Yeah. Are you going to sing it? No. In your eyes, <laughs> light the heat, I am complete in your eyes. I love your singing, it's the best. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really but, is. But it yeah. just hasn't been auto-tuned yet, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> so we start off with the infamous character actor, Daniel Robeck, who plays Samson the Killer. Is it Samson Toilet, aka John? Yes. Yeah, I was I was a little stretched for me. <laughs> it was very weird. I don't understand why they didn't just name him John, but I feel like there's some yeah, I don't know. 
you know, the way that actually Anthony Broussard goes by his middle name. I don't know if maybe they're trying to reflect that by having their killer also not go by his first name. Right. I yeah, it could be a bit of that. Yeah. I feel like it could be. Um, who murders Jamie, who is played by Danny Dietz. Must have been just the worst job ever. Yeah, I feel like that that would just be kind of a, a tough one. Uh, we also have playing Lane Crispin Glover. So good in this. Just amazing. Yeah, he's yeah. he's incredible. And not not because I'm going to say, quote, outrageous performance. It is a it is a nuanced performance. And he plays the character to a T. I feel like yes. it's absolutely perfect. One of my actually one of my favorite performances in film. No, ser- no, seriously. I know, I know. Okay. Yeah, I know. The sudden, the room suddenly got really quiet. No, I, you know, having watched Crispin Glover, giving a you like movies, a look over the new mic stand, yeah, like, like mm, and, and silence. My mouth I mean, suddenly it was puckered up. Absolutely but. perfect for the character and for the movie. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say it's like in my top 10 best performances well, of all time. No, not best, but favorite. I, I mean, right. that is very enjoyable. All right. Favorite is different than best. I will yeah. give you that. Yes. Very enjoyable. We also have, um, you know, sort of the elder statesman of this film, the character of Feck, played by Dennis Hopper. Yes. Yes, man. If there's any <laughs> beer left in that can. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you saw our Instagram story while we were watching it, there's a really good joke in this movie. I, I'm pretty sure I just totally misquoted it, but nah, yeah. all right. Um, so we mentioned Kenu. We also have Joshua Miller, who plays Kenu Reeves's brother in this film, who is sort of the villain beyond yeah. the villain of um, John. Yeah. And then, um, well, I guess you know, kind of keeping it with that for the cast characters. I mean, there's like Mike and some other folks, but really uh, keeping it with that. Keep it small. Uh, directed by Tim Hunter, who did some other films, but really we're just going to talk about his contribution to directing River's Edge. Script by Neil Jimenez, who, well, the thing that stuck out with me was that he did the screenplay for the Dean Koontz horror thriller Hideaway with Jeff Goldblum and Alicia Silverstone, which I read the book. I did not watch the movie. And the soundtrack, which features Slayer, Hallow's Eve, Agent Orange and the wipers so this is like a california set film in the 80s and it's a great time capsule well it's a great time capsule of the time i guess <laughs> this is really the, the way to say it uh, it did not because the way it's shot it feels like a period piece it doesn't feel dated to me anyway i don't know about you no it definitely didn't feel dated to me uh all right so a great uh, reference that you know i'd suggest you check out after watching the film itself would be a Vice article called An Oral History of River's Edge, 1987's Most Polarizing Teen Film. So, you know, some release date discussions of 86, 87, but officially this is the 30th anniversary of River's Edge. And um, I guess really starting out with that article, one of the things that surprised me that I did not know was that, um, well, I guess Matt, Keanu Reeves' brother was originally cast by Corey Haim. Oh, hmm. No. He could, no, I, I that feel would like not. Like, no, Corey Haim is too nice. Yeah, and no, the, the brother yeah. is like a little tiny asshole. He is, yeah. He's awful. He is. Yep, yep. I can't imagine Corey Haim in that role. No, I was like, do I call a kid a tiny asshole or a tiny dick? And I'm like, wait, I, I really don't know. But he's both of those think, somehow. Yeah, he, he's definitely <laughs> a, a tiny dick and a tiny asshole. But it's really cool that he went on to write The Final Girls. Because exactly. I love that movie. Yes, thank you. Yeah. It was so great. I was, yeah, right? No. Um, I want to make sure we mentioned that because I saw it earlier. Yeah, no, yeah. thank you for mentioning it because I had it on my notes, but uh, but that came up organically, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, we watched that like a year ago? Yeah, really yeah. great. Re- highly recommend it. Highly it's recommend the kind it. of deconstruction of Sasha film, but it's also a family story. It's like relationship mm-hmm. drama slash slasher slash 80s throwback film that you should all check out as well um so yeah the Corey Haim element he got sick on the first day while they were filming it was like pneumonia something like that and so they had to fire they like you know fired what that him. sounds like to me huh? sounds like fate uh yeah <laughs> so anyway the other Corey could do it not Corey Haim yeah I could I could see it and then that would have the Friday the 13th part four connection between he and Crispin Glover uh-huh. 
the long game. So I had a couple of notes too about folks who had been in horror movies, and that was um, that Crispin Glover was in Friday the Thirteenth Part Four and Willard. Dennis Hopper has been in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two and Land so of the Dead. He's so good in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, <laughs> yeah. which I don't know if I should even admit it on the podcast, but. I enjoyed it more than Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 1. Oh, yeah. Oh, and there goes all of our listeners. Bye. <laughs> no, it's the better movie. <laughs> it's just more fun. It is. It's a lot more fun. Yeah. It's When he's got the two chainsaws. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. And the chainsaw salesman's looking at him with those eyes. And it's amazing. <laughs> he's got like lust in his eyes for his just like psychosis. No, it's okay. I will say that uh, I, I say this often about the difference between a favorite movie and a favorite film because I think the distinction is really subtle and it's stupid that a movie and a film can be a different thing while being the same thing. But like, I don't know. I feel like you could be like, Citizen Kane is my favorite film while Back to the Future is my favorite movie. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't I make do it different. Sense. I say favorite versus better. Yeah. That, like, yeah. I can be aware that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a better movie than Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is my favorite yeah. of the series. Awesome. And that's why I married you. Oh, yeah. Beyond, I mean, besides like a million <laughs> I don't think that's actually things. why. Yeah. We had a great, uh, actually, time of that back to flashback. We watched that one of the nights of our first flashback. Very first flashback, yeah. Yep. That was fun. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, we're I was talking about people. Uh, we're getting off track. No. Well, it's we're the talking line. About, <laughs> we're talking about folks who are in horror movies and besides... Uh, can you i think we already talked about it anyway so we were talking about just to slightly tie it back before we start talking about you know the experience of watching the film there's an interesting quote from neil jimenez who's a screenwriter talking about a little bit about the inspiration of the true crime aspects of writing the screenplay he says that there was a news story about a kid who dumped a body and took his friends to see it i was in a screenplay class at ucla and i wrote it for the class most of the characters were based on people I'd gone to high school with. I thought it spoke to a mood that young people were feeling at the time, feeling detached from things and wanting to zone out. I entered a screenplay contest, and that was judged by fellow students. One of them was doing an internship with a production company that the producer, Amy Pascal, was involved with. He gave it to her, and she gave it to the person who became my agent, who gave it to Midge and Sarah, who were uh, producers on River's Edge. And I thought that was pretty cool because it's like, you know, you see something in the news, you're inspired, you write a screenplay, and it ends up, you get your movie. Yeah. And, you know, back then that happened a lot more frequently than it does now. Yeah. All right. So one more one more just behind the scenes thing uh, that I thought we could chat about before we talk about our experience watching the movie um, because I insist on talking about such things. Do you guys? You can always fast forward to this part. Uh, <laughs> all right. So they were talking about casting. So the casting director was talking about, I'd initially hoped that John Lithgow would play it, which ended up being Dennis Hopper, but it was too dark for John. He wanted no part of it. We had some reluctance that it might be typecasting for Dennis, but ultimately we wanted him very badly and we needed the production company to come up with a little extra money for him. I threatened to cast Timothy Carey, who was in Stanley Kubrick's The Killing and John Cassavetti's The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. He was brilliant, but also a well-known wild man who had never stuck to a script. He'd ad-lib and be quite disruptive. The thought of having Timothy Carey in the picture finally convinced the production company to come up with that small amount of money to pay Dennis to do it. <laughs> That's so sneaky. Yeah, and then um, the other quote was, when they said it was Dennis Hopper, I almost shit myself. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they were also talking about Crispin Glover auditioning, and they said that, uh, quote, I think Crispin Glover came in to audition with a wig and an outrageous take on the part. He was so out there that Sarah and I were a little nervous about what he was doing, but we trusted him and felt like it would work out in the end, which I think it worked out brilliantly, yes. as I've already waxed Crispin Glover's car earlier talking <laughs> about his performance. <laughs> I mean, you know, you look up River's Edge on YouTube, and it's just compilations of clips of crispin glover's performance because it's pretty iconic yeah yeah he's got know. that like mullet he's got like the jacket yeah. he's got a little bit of guy liner on it's gonna he's be got my halloween car. costume this year yeah hey that would be fun i oh, man i'm no <laughs> he's got a he doesn't have a beard couldn't do it besides that's gonna be my halloween costume. oh your halloween costume. oh my god i was thinking to myself geez no. i was like mm, no, maybe you're gonna I be like skywalker be. right yes i am that's why yeah. i'm growing my hair yeah if you're seeing my pictures all over social media with my long ass hippie hair that's why spoiler yeah. alert and it's only been growing out for nine months so far yeah yeah geez the things we do for a halloween costume actually it's not a halloween costume well it's halloween but it's, it's a also way of life yeah. oh wait <laughs> 
Yeah. It's not a fucking costume. It's a way of life. <laughs> so said suicide from Return of Living Dead. All right. So let's chat about the experience of watching River's Edge. Uh, what did you think? I mean, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting to me. I sort of wish that I had seen it earlier, but I also kind of feel like it's not my coming of age story. It's, it's not my high school experience. But I kind of loved it for, you know, what it is. That's as cool. like a, a teenage story. I think of my coming of age movie as Stand By Me. <laughs> so, oh, which hey, I know awesome. is crazy because it's not like in the 50s. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm old at heart. But I thought it was great. I think that talking about Stand By Me, it's like the kind of movies centering around dead bodies. No, that's weird. <laughs> how to talk uh, about well, it well i mean you could use like dead bodies as an allegory though right i don't know was there like a great white whale <laughs> <laughs> a great bloated corpse uh, no no but it's like just... that that MacGuffin, right yeah was every kid's MacGuffin is like what's happening after high school what do you do next yeah and it's like i feel like the dead body is kind of a a you know an allegory for that like That's what happens when your plans are disrupted life more in the face of death and i think that i really enjoyed how they just took it to a completely different place than the real story i think there are little bits of it samson or john saying that he killed her because she was talking shit about his mom is like right from the real story taking the kids to see the body and but i think that they really kind of humanized it almost a little bit more i think that having matt be the one that contacted the police someone who's actually supposed to be good friends with samson kind of part of this trio with him and samson and lane rather than you know who actually went to the police which was kind of like it almost branched out a little bit too far (laughs) into people that just weren't friends with him Um, but i think it did a good job capturing probably the conflict that the real people involved felt where they're so young that they see this body they see their friend's body and they can't really comprehend that this is someone who is now dead and that it's like kind of a big deal so yeah no i i really enjoyed it beyond just the laughs that came from some of the funny lines and funny delivery courtesy usually of crispin glover yeah um, and Beck. yeah oh Beck my gosh just, yeah. i mean that's a whole nother I, I feel like that's another kind of level because of how it eventually gets resolved i don't know if you want to get into the spoilery stuff yet but oh, we can in a bit but no I, I feel you what you're saying about like the characters and for me while i definitely didn't have any experience of finding a, a dead body I think like you never know what sort of situations you're going to run into as a kid. And I could recognize people in my school that filled these sorts of roles. But also the the fascinating thing the film does is it takes all of these characters and gives you almost everyone's perspective on it. So it's like, the I mean, from an audience standpoint. So you have everything from like, I think you're supposed to be Matt. Matt is like the audi- the cipher for the audience. But let's say you're not a younger person than maybe your feck, right? Because it's like Dennis Hopper is the crazy old uncle. And I, I think like by them having a, a wide range of ages here, you know, you even have Tim who's like a little kid. This feels like one of those movies that I would have watched before I was old enough to watch rated R movies and would have been able to follow and relate in some way, even though I was not a juvenile delinquent. <laughs> like, I mean, I think we were like, we were yelling at, at Tim through the whole movie. Yeah, I did not like him. He, well, yeah. No, definitely not. And he's like the threat. He feels like the villain. He feels like the villain in, during a, a lot of this. He's at least the threat to Matt, whether or not he survives the, the story. Yeah, and I feel like it's it's kind of crazy. You think of, so you have Tim, you have Samson, and you have Feck. And they're all kind of, I want to like put them into that chart that's like, where it goes along from like neutral and chaotic and evil. And it's like obviously Samson being chaotic evil and then him kind of being counterbalanced by both Feck and Tim as like, okay, so Tim is a real threat. He is looking for a gun. He wants to you know get revenge on his brother. The narc. Yeah. While still being a child and being someone with feelings He's like immediate feeling, like yeah. immediate feelings. And then you have Feck, who's 
kind of like this wild card you know his thing right from the beginning is that he killed a girl once right yeah so you know kind of contrasting his supposed murder which i don't know if we ever find out if he actually did it i'm assuming that he did with samson his killing and then what eventually happens there yeah but somehow they're able to like definitely like balance that out where you're like you feel like the effect was somehow what samson did was so reprehensible and he feels not he feels nothing for murdering jamie yeah and that's that's kind of the issue that Feck has with him is Feck killed this woman because he loved her. Yeah. Whereas Samson killed Jamie for no reason to just feel that power. Oh my gosh. Which feels pretty similar to the, the actual case also, because you know, as far as the reports that are out there, it doesn't seem like there was much of an intimate relationship between Broussard and Marcy Conrad. Right. You know, it was really just this kind of impulsive decision that he made. Yeah, no, and it's weird. It's like talking about Lane's character, Christopher Glover, how, you know, he is so loyal to like getting Samson out of this. And yet, like, you know, there's there's a point at the end where Matt's talking to him and he's like, You've you've kind of like created this persona of care and of feeling like you should protect him, but you don't. And I feel like there's like that scene um where he he confronts them that says a lot about the three of them and their relationship the fact that like matt would go to the police you know he was like the i guess the good guy yeah but i don't i don't think lane is a bad guy oh no you know, no it's, no it's definitely exactly not. what matt is saying he just you know he's kind of a lost teenager looking for something to to grasp onto and suddenly it's like he feels like this mission was given to him and he's just gonna go through with it with no regard for anything else or no regard for right and wrong it felt pretty real it felt like that could actually be someone's reason for you know not going to the police and i guess you could think that his character might be a little bit based on kirk Rasmussen, the one that kind of covered Marcy's bodies with leaves. It's like the few friends that actually did feel some loyalty to a guy that was just kind of crappy. Just not a good person. Yeah. I mean, friends do that for each other sometimes, right? It's just, it's just never. Not me. I mean, right. Well, <laughs> not like murder. I, do, I don't. I, I, I could see Lane's point, but mm. that, that wouldn't be me. <laughs> Even at 16 or whatever, however old he is in this. I don't know. We're all pretty dumb when we're 16. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. You went to a smart school, so you guys were all smart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, I I just think that this is... This is an interesting interpretation of the story, and I know it's obviously not a, a literal translation because this movie works on so many levels. So it's like the idea of the murder is like the based on true crime aspect of it. But it's also like a relationship drama because minus the murder, you have Matt and Clarissa, who's like a romantic thriller or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because their budding relationship feels authentic, at least in cinematic terms. Yeah. While we were watching it, I remember like we were debating like, is he going to say, is he going to admit to be in the narc? And like that like turned her on. I mean, yeah. not like just sexually, but I think she like was like, that is the honorable thing to do. Or like, that's why we look for in a partner is that this person that something that, would... that she wished she had done. Yeah. You know, when Matt is talking about calling the police, when he admits to calling the police, one of the first things he says is that he didn't think that he would be the only one or the first one even And I kind of wonder if maybe that in the true story is part of what stopped people is they would have called the police, but maybe they assumed someone else would have done it already. So it's like, why should they be the ones to call? Why should they be the first ones to call? Yeah, it's just a very interesting, interesting story. (laughs) Um, It is. um, So I guess we could kind of wrap wrap this up with Roger Ebert's comments on the movie. And now we got to do the spoilers. Come oh, on, let's oh, spoil right. the whole thing. Okay, let's spoil the whole yeah, thing. All right. Spoiler tradition. All right. So okay. in the end, Feck, spoilers abound. Feck shoots Samson in the head. Yes. Because Samson is ranting about how he killed, um, Mar- <laughs> not Marcy, how he killed Jamie yep. just for shits and giggles. And Feck 
is just so taken aback by it because you know he although he killed some woman at some point it was out of love and he shoots samson in the head he does and like the moment is amazing because somehow it's like you uh, i don't know how to explain it because like it's just i you know i think it's dennis the test a testament to dennis hopper's skill as an actor because i couldn't see anyone pulling off that scene but it is like what's the word i wouldn't want to put a rabid dog down but it, it feels like he is killing him out of mercy yeah because samson is like yeah yeah didn't you feel that way didn't you feel that way and feck is like no i did not feel that way like i did not feel great and alive or whatever he's like nope he's like this has to end right he's like this has to end right now and the only way to do that is for for you to die yeah yeah and it's it's just a weird thing to think about when you think about those true crime stories because there is such a kind of distinction between killings that are really emotionally charged versus you know someone who's like killing for the thrill of it well and john or or samson is like howling in the opening scene yeah like after killing jamie and tim witnesses it right because tim is also like throwing his sister's doll into the river so he's it's very interesting like mirror serial killer right there yeah which i mean he has redemption at the end because he ends up not killing his brother but like no that counts as redemption well wait to see what happens in the sequel (laughs) what would it be called it'd be like the river's float trip they all go on a float trip together and they all survive or they don't yeah it'd be like the burning careful oh man geez yeah don't be like the burning guys But no, no, it's uh, it's like I do feel like the introduction scene kind of mirrors like our is, you know, Samson and is Tim, you know, going to do something drastic in this film. And then up until the very end, I was convinced that Tim was going to kill his brother. I, or I thought he was going to shoot his brother. I didn't think he was going to kill him. All right. So I I saw him as like a little robotic like Terminator. And then <laughs> all of a sudden he's like a kid again. And that had a lot of weight to me because it was like, okay, wait, this he is just a kid. Yeah. Like he's like crying and he like gave his brother the gun and they put it down. But also let's talk about Lane's reaction to finding out that Samson has been shot in the head and is dead on the edge of the river. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was powerful. Yeah. I feel I, like that's when you really get a sense of the range of Crispin Glover as an actor because up until the point where he kind of has the big confrontation with Matt right before he finds the body, I think that, you know, his character was awesome but didn't have like a super big range of emotions. And yeah. then just that like last sequence was really, really powerful. It was in like the last shot of him is of him like he slowly lays down on the rock on Mm -hmm. the river's edge and he just kind of like puts his face down. He has kind of his legs up and he just is like, it's just despair and sadness. And you have to wonder, you know, especially after his conversation with Matt, is it really despair over, you know, Samson dying or is it despair over kind of almost like failing at his mission? Oh, no, I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now that you mention it, it. It does seem like, yeah, it's it's beyond just the the very active. Like, to be honest, Samson seems like a really shitty friend. Oh, he seems like a terrible. <laughs> like, he's he a terrible like he person. He cares no. about anyone or anything. He doesn't. He doesn't listen to um Lane. He doesn't listen yeah, to Yeah, Lane he tells just... him to stay in the house. Him and Feck leave to get beer. You know, he tells him to lay low, basically trying to, you know, save his friend from being arrested and what does he do he goes out and robs a liquor store he does not care no and it's not even a he's stupid he just doesn't care he's no. a sociopath yeah. or a psychopath or whatever <laughs> let's not get into that distinction that's oh, like sorry. a yeah. whole episode or mini-sode yep. by itself sorry folks <laughs> i'm just a movie guy i don't know i mean a movie person <laughs> <laughs> yeah no mightily impressed by this film yes what other spoilers do we have? Spoilers abound. I mean, that's part of our tagline. What can we say? I feel like that's all I really have. That uh, Matt becomes the Matrix. Oh, wait. <laughs> that's, that's I'm crossing films. Follow there. the White Rabbit. Yep. The Blue Pill. Oh, no. Don't even talk about Blue oh, and Red Pills. God. <laughs> don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> it's all awful. Anyway. But no, it's great. I am I'm really surprised that it kind of flew under my radar for as long as it did. I know you had at least heard of it. So I I need to be honest, I hadn't even heard of it until they talked about it on an episode of My Favorite Murder. Georgia mentioned it as 
a movie that was based on the true crime <laughs> that happened huh. um, like a few weeks ago and I immediately added it to the list. And yeah, I was just, I was really blown away. Yeah, same here. And the fact that I hadn't seen it, you know, it was like came out the same year Lost Boys, so. <laughs> came out the year I was born. Oh, yeah. I'm just a little baby. Yeah, not yeah. the year I was born, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for watching it with me. Or actually, thank, thank you for watching it with me. I watched me. it with you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, uh, I thought it was a great addition to the uh, film education. It's just, uh, it's based off of an awfully sad story. And I think it does bring up like everyone's sort of high school, what is the right word, clicks? And yeah. what was your school experience like and can you put yourself in these folks place yeah and it's pretty effective at taking the typical high school experience and just bringing it up a notch so you know i I feel like you know a lot of teenagers may have had the experience of lying to their parents lying to authorities or the principal and covering for friends you know kind of trying to balance you know your loyalty to your friends versus maybe the higher moral question of what's right and what's wrong and that's not always going to involve a dead body at the edge of a river but i do think it's it is a fairly universal experience yeah absolutely so anything else you want to chat about about river's edge Nope, but I would say if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, you'll probably love it because it really, I think, feeds that that true crime, <laughs> that truth. It scratches that true crime itch. It's a really, really great movie. So as far as we could tell, it's not streaming anywhere. We rented it on iTunes. So it's only $3.99. Do it. Rent it. Watch it. Enjoy it. Enjoy Crispin Glover's amazing performance. Admire Keanu Reeves. And his cute youth. And Ioni Sky. No, the, it's you. a great cast. Oh. <laughs> and Dennis Hopper, of course. Dennis Hopper is for everyone. Uh, yeah. No, he is for everyone. And, uh, you know, not to leave out uh, Daniel Roebuck's performance um, as, you know, the, the, the antagonist, I guess, kind of. Which was, I guess, appropriately nuanced, but also terrifying. All right. Well, that's River's Edge, the movie, and we hope you all check it out. And uh, we're going to move on to a couple of other uh, topics, I guess, right? (laughs) Yes, David. What is your now playing? My now playing has been complicated by all the paintings I've been working on. Um, Been kind of in this weird VHS cassette world which has been great but my headspace has been art 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 all the time and um trying to get uh, a little bit rested up from the show is really a long way of me stalling while i think of it because i didn't write anything down (laughs) (laughs) i have it coming soon though however i'm gonna skip your now playing no no um 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 Oh, man, I actually had one. Oh, yes, actually, my now plane has been... Um, oh, shit. Hang on just a second. My, I got... No, I, I have it. You're not going to go for Spiria? No. Huh? I thought you were going to go for I'm gonna Suspiria. I'm going to let you talk about sure. it, and then I'll comment Suspiria's, on it. Suspiria I'm not going to do Suspiria. I'm going to do Riverdale. Aren't? Oh, okay. All right. So my now plane is uh, Synapse Films is Suspiria. We were able to catch the U.S. premiere of the 4K restoration of Dario Gento's Jello Classic. It was a, an incredible screening. This really showed the how impactful sound design can have on a movie. We saw it in this like 4.1, I forget what the exact technical specification is, but basically you hear the dialogue go from left to right and behind you as characters are talking on screen. The Goblin score was incredible. The soundtracks were amazing. It was, it was turned up to the notch. Incredible. It was incredible. I have never seen Suspiria and it was mind blowing, particularly the, the use of music and the soundtrack. Unfortunately, we don't know when that blu-ray is actually going to get released and even if we did we would not tell you guys because we're gonna try to get a copy for ourselves yep, yep. Yeah. sorry yeah but then we're working on it a couple years um our friends at synapse films have been hard at work and we hope to be able to share a future episode um or at least some a little discussion about it in 
depth. So yeah. All right. Thanks for reminding me that that was (laughs) (laughs) now playing. Um, If you have not seen it, check it out. If you have not seen any of Dario Gento films, we talked about Phenomena a couple of episodes ago in a mini-sode. But this would, I would say, you know, put out the top of your list in terms of Argento movies. I enjoyed this more than Phenomena. Oh, no. I don't know. It's hard to separate the movie from the experience of seeing it in kind of the big screen with the sound being you know, as good and with all the thought put into it, it was really incredible. All right. I have one other quick now playing yeah. since you gave me, a, I was able to stall a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's a podcast. It's postmortem with Mick Garris and Mick Garris has been involved in the horror community for a long time. Um, he started out doing behind the scenes of movies like the thing, but then moved on to become a writer and director in his own right. He's worked with Stephen King closely. You may remember him from films such as sleepwalkers, but most importantly, Importantly, he, he was involved with Masters of Horror, with which aired on Showtime, which was directed by a series of Masters of Horror. Anyway, there's a great recent episode. Actually, I guess it was back in July of Tom Holland, who directed Fright Night and wrote Fright Night. But he also co-wrote, well, I guess he directed Child's Play. And I'm wearing a, ch- a Chucky shirt right now yes. from Cavity Colors and uh, Travis Philgrant. So you guys did awesome art on that. And I've had a couple of Chucky dreams recently, which I have not told you about. Yeah, don't I don't even want to hear about your chucky dreams you know how i feel about dolls that come to life yeah we'll probably have to do an episode on chucky at some point oh yeah i think we will all right well that uh the cult of chucky is coming out around halloween so we'll Mm. have to watch all of those yeah i can't wait yeah so chucky dreams have been bothering me a little bit we saw a great tiffany cosplay at the horror con we were at got a picture of her she's on instagram Instagram. yep all right so that's my now playing uh what have you got going now playing chelsea my now playing is Riverdale. Oh, yeah. So it, it took a very long time, but I finally finished the first season in part because I watched a ton of episodes while making buttons for David's art show. Thank you. You did an awesome yeah. and amazing job. Um, and I thought that, was, that this would actually be a pretty fitting choice for the River's Edge episode because the very first episode of the first season of Riverdale is actually called the River's Edge. So I bet you oh, didn't know that. Oh, man. That is yes. a brilliant tie-in right yes. there. Yes. Um, and then they end up, you know, at the end of the that pilot episode, they find Jason Blossom's body in the river. Anyway, I <laughs> I don't know how dork you want to get, but I did read Archie comics when I was little, and <laughs> I just took me a little while to get into this uh, this season of Archie meets Gossip Girl meets whatever else teen show um but once i once i got into it i got really into it so never thought i would ship jughead and betty but i do oh yeah uh archie and veronica i've always shipped i actually i'm not a big fan of archie in in riverdale it's kind of the worst character but i'm i'm really enjoying it and i'm very excited for season two which is coming out in october i think october 11th i just looked it up so it's all on netflix watch it enjoy looking at very pretty people that are supposed to be in high school but they're totally in like their 30s (laughs) as they always are yeah and it has two horror movie connections right our buddy from scream which one's that jughead's dad oh dirt yes yes our buddy from uh, scream skeet ulrich yes plays jughead's dad so he's actually aged fairly well Oh, no, he does a great I job. I like him we better s- with the facial hair. Once he shaves it off, it's long. Yeah, way. yeah. We saw him at a horror con last year for the uh, anniversary of Scream. He introduced it, and that was neat. Yes. And then uh, if you look at the cover art on Netflix, it's a direct copy of the It Follows posters. It absolutely is. Yeah, it's... I don't really know how they got away with that, but that's definitely It Follows poster. Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit different story, but yeah. What yeah. can you do? So what's your coming soon? Oh, my coming soon is going to be a challenge right here because my coming soon is the DVD box set of Tales from the Crypt, 93 episodes. Are you going to brag about the price you got it at too? Yeah, there was this crazy deal. I'm, I did not steal this. It did not fall off the back of a truck. I promise. They had a pricing issue the day it hit for pre-order and the box set of all the seasons, 93 episodes. <laughs> 
<laughs> that retails for 169.99, Which is crazy because right after you got yours, I started seeing in my um, like Instagram suggested images. It was like some other people that got it for that price and they were bragging about it on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, man, well, I'm, I'm very glad that Amazon honored that price. So. No, thank you, thank Amazon, you Amazon, for honoring yeah. that price. And um, I mean, I was we like... enjoy it. We will get $170 worth of enjoyment out of the $20 box set. Thank yes, you. absolutely. Thank you. And How about ch- you? Check out our new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> podcast from the crypt. Yep, no. exactly. Oh, man. We got to get that. All right. <laughs> what's your coming soon, my dear? Atomic Blonde. Oh, yeah. I want to see it. I'm trying to get David to take me out on a date this weekend. You're so. trying? Yeah, I'm trying. Hey, was that my idea? I've been, I've been dropping hints, which <laughs> is basically David had the idea. And I was like, yeah, let's go see Atomic Blonde. So hopefully by the time you're hearing this, David will have taken me out to dinner and a movie, maybe. As you do. (laughs) But yeah, I'm excited. My sister and brother-in-law saw it uh, one night while my my mom was watching my my little new niece and they really liked it. So I think that that's my number one for what's in theaters now to watch watch some girls kicking butt totally. it's my second favorite after movies about murder yep <laughs> <laughs> all right let's wrap this up all right let's wrap it up so that's been our discussion of the based on a true crime of river's edge and thanks for sticking with us through this episode definitely check out the real life case as well as watch the movie because it is very good highly recommended um but thanks for listening and sticking yes. with us Especially because we've been a bit rambly this episode, but we're, we're getting back into the groove. No, this episode's amazing. Oh, yeah. What are you saying? <laughs> um, only because you're in it. Oh, no. Only cause I'm just along for the ride. All right. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, reach out on Facebook, Based on a True Crime Podcast. Instagram, at Based on a True Crime Twitter at True Crime Based. We absolutely love hearing from you guys. We love hearing your suggestions. Um, We would love to get more reviews and feedback and all that fun stuff. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we got. No, thanks, uh, everyone, for being such an active part. I know we we met a bunch of cool folks at the HorrorCon we were at who sound excited about the concept of the podcast. And, yeah, we hope to have a couple of surprises in the story in the upcoming months. And uh, thanks again. We couldn't do it without you guys. And uh, we appreciate all that you do and for being listeners. So thanks a lot. And uh, that's our River's Edge episode. So we'll be catching you guys uh, pretty soon. Yep. Death is but a door. Time is but a window. We'll be back. (laughs) 